Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada and the official podcast of NBO Toronto for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. Find us on Instagram, Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, our guest for today, he was a French Open finalist earlier this season. He's won the ATP Finals. He won Madrid earlier this year. And, well, he has a chance in this tournament as well. You got a chance to speak with Stefano Tsitsipas. Yeah, happy to welcome the uh, Greek tennis player who is a fan favorite here in Toronto to the podcast. And I don't know about you, but I feel like our guest this week just keeps sort of rising in terms of, I don't know, ranking, potential, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. Uh, I I feel like Roger Federer or Serena Williams is going to call us up next and say, hey, can we be on (laughs) Matchpoint Canada next? And uh, well, that's maybe a bit of a stretch. Pretty cool to welcome someone who's, uh, well, he's still in the tournament in the late stages here as he approaches his semifinal match against Riley Apelka, but really one of the emerging personalities and, and curious personalities of the ATP Tour. Yeah, and uh, look, as I said, I think earlier this week on the podcast, Stefano Tsitsipas, for me, had his significant breakout on the Tour at this same site, at Aviva Center in 2018, knocking off four top 10 players, reaching the finals and uh, facing Rafael Nadal, getting a win there over Novak Djokovic. That was like his major breakout tournament. And uh, of course, he's talked about loving to come back here in Toronto. Uh, the Greek fans, um, you know, we'll get right to the interview right now. I'll let you touch on all of that. Here's Mike's conversation with Stefanos Tsitsipas. Okay, Stefanos, congrats on your victory today and returning to the semifinals again here in Toronto, something special about this city for you and playing such great tennis? It's, it's got to be the tower. <laughs> the CN Tower? The CN Tower, yeah. I didn't really realize you got your power from that. That's, uh, that's the first time I've ever heard that, let me tell you. You wrote Hold I'm My... Big fan of, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, uh, Nikola Tesla, so <laughs> I believe in energy. Well, you're in the right place then. Uh, you wrote Hold My Hand on the camera after the win today. Can you explain by uh, what you meant by that? That was, that, was, uh, that was subjected to the fans. And how much they support you through the event once again this year? Correct. What's it like for you when you're playing outside of your home country? Do you get Greek support like you have here in Canada? I do get uh, support. But this this location has to be one of the most special locations to to play tennis at. Uh, one of the locations would be Melbourne. Of, of course, we know the reasons why. Uh, one of the the most uh, dense populations of Greeks in uh, in Australia. Then you have Toronto. You have uh, uh, let me think. Uh, what what other places? Uh, I guess a bit of New York, you know, also uh, Italy, you know, close, not a, not a, not a long flight for, for the Greeks to, to come and support me when I play in Rome. So uh, there are some locations, specific locations that uh, I get greeted really nicely and I get a lot of the, the Greek flags to, to, come, uh, to come along and support me. Kind of nice to celebrate your birthday in a place like that, too, I would imagine. And happy belated birthday. You turned 23 this week. Also to your mom, who apparently you mentioned has one today. Is it strange celebrating a birthday in a hotel bubble? Or are you just happy to keep winning while you're here in Toronto right now? 
Um, it's not something that bothered me really. You know, I had I'm I'm actually happy that I get to play uh, here, and the rest uh, is not something that really uh, I find I find frustrating that I'm not able to to be with my family. Of course, it would have it would have been much better to to be with them, but I'm just enjoying the process and the ways the way things are uh, right now. Speaking of the process and the learning development that you're taking at the top of the men's game, earlier this year you had your first Grand Slam final at Roland Garros. Had such a good start in that match, obviously, against Djokovic. Um, I'm not sure if disappointment is a strong enough word for how you felt afterwards, but how tough was it for you to let that match go and, and, and how long did that stay with you afterwards? Well, it took a while. It's difficult to delete that from, from your memory and uh, not have that be part of your past. It's tough to swallow. But it's also impossible to change it because it's the outcome of something that happened. Um, the only way is to move forward and, uh, you know, let my frustration build into something stronger for next time. And building into something stronger kind of uh, touches base on what you told me in press the other day that your generation is ready for more, that you sense maybe a change of thrones, as you called it, happening with the big three not being here at this event. Can you talk a bit more about what that feeling is like, that things might be starting to change at the top of the men's game right now? What exactly? Well, we have a lot of players and uh, we have clashes. I, I personally have clashes with a lot of them and um, I see them as, you know, potential, you know, candidates for Grand Slam finals and... Um, I think the sport is looking good. We are all different when it comes to personality, game style. You know, there's a lot of variety in, uh, in, 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 uh, in our game. So we differ from each other. And uh, that comes from cultural differences. That comes from uh, uh, the things that we have to offer to the sport. I... Um, I find a lot of the young generation players very, very difficult to play. And I've also um, been part of their improvement over the years because I've played them three, four years ago and I've played them recently. So I see how much they have developed uh, from before. And, you know, I'm, um, I find it very challenging when I step out on the court to play against them. Well, I know you mentioned yeah, that um, uh, turning 23 was... Uh, Maybe difficult for you wanting to be five years younger, but you got lots of time ahead. Thank you so much for taking the time today and uh, best of luck the rest of the way here. Thank you. And there you have it, uh, your interview with Stefano Tsitsipas, who, uh, as he said to my surprise, gets his uh, power and energy from the CN Tower. Um, you know, it's interesting as you kind of talk about the changing of the thrones, which he mentioned to you earlier in the week. It's already kind of happening in the rankings in that uh, Rafael Nadal, who, of course, has not played tennis since the French Open, Tsitsipas has jumped him in the rankings and holds that number three spot. And there is a little bit of a gap there, about 500 points. So Tsitsipas, Medvedev, I don't know if they're ready yet to push Djokovic for the number one. He has a stranglehold on that. But the fact that those guys are two and three is already a, bi a big change. 
And I just picture CC Pass now sitting on a throne atop the CN Tower, you know, <laughs> at the very top there. When he said that he got his strength from the tower at first, I was like, the tower, what the heck is he talking about? Like, I was going off a of four hour sleep, so it took a moment to click. I'm like, oh, the CN Tower, of yeah. course. And speaking with him was interesting. I mean, I mentioned this to you before we hit record here that uh, it's not like this smooth, free flowing sometimes conversation with him. You're you're not always sure, like, is that his answer? Is he done? Oh, wait, he's got some more to say. And when you're going off four hours sleep like I was, uh, it kind of felt like a match you had to sink your teeth into interviewing him. Um, but I certainly appreciate him taking the time and, and opening up once again about um, where he sees the men's game going, um, how him and his generation play into that. And also, um, I should say, I really enjoyed his answer about what that French Open final loss to Djokovic meant to him and how it was difficult to move past. Of, of course, it would be after being up two sets to love in a Grand Slam final for the first time. Yeah, and look, um, he, I think, really wears his heart on his sleeve. He really wants those big victories so badly. I recall in 2019, his first semifinal at a Grand Slam at the Australian Open, um, he lost to Nadal in straight sets, like very routinely. And uh, I recall Patrick Moradoglu, uh, who's sort of part of his coaching team and uh, and his heart helped to kind of groom him along the way, talked about him being completely devastated by that loss. And I found that interesting because you go back two years ago, nobody really would have given him a chance to make the finals of the Australian Open. And for him to be that gutted, um, that hurt by a loss like that, you can tell how badly he wants it. And sure enough, 2021, he beats, uh, he beats Rafael Nadal at the Australian Open, avenges that loss from a couple couple of years ago makes the semifinals again takes another step at the French Open um, in the final so you have to think he's a contender uh, to get a slam surely within the next couple of years I believe I mean it feels that way for sure you put him up there with Medvedev uh, Zverev team still got to mention team although he's kind of off off the radar right now it seems like yeah um, CC Pass has had a great great week after needing three sets to get by uh, Humbert that middle set being the the challenging one with that epic tie break, he's been on kind of cruise control, taking out Hachinov and Rude, two of our previous interviewees, mm -hmm. in straight sets. And now he comes up against the self-proclaimed serve bot as uh, Riley Opelchek <laughs> finds the match camera in Toronto yesterday, which I thought was pretty funny. Hey, you got to be able to poke fun at yourself. God knows we can do it. Um, and so both semifinals here in Toronto are these contrasts where you've got the big server against one of the, um, I want to say more than just emerging, they've emerged young guns on the ATP tour. I think fans are, are probably, I hope people don't mind me saying this, hoping for the Medvedev CC Pass final. Who knows, maybe we'll get the two serve bots, Isner versus Opelka. And uh, we'll, we'll get to Isner in a moment because I did see his match um, mm. last night. But a, a neat contrast between the, the two semifinalists. Yeah, and um, certainly if if you were to peg favorites, it's obviously Medvedev and Tsitsipas with the, the best opportunities here to get to the final. But uh, Riley Opelka, I should say, uh, watched a couple of his early matches, completely controlled his match against Grigor Dimitrov. Um, 
very impressive win to start his tournament against Nick Kyrgios, uninvested Nick Kyrgios, I should say, who captured the first set, um, mentally went a little off at the end of the second. But Opelka, as he likes to be self-deprecating and call himself a serve bot, he's produced some great shots from the back of the court um, throughout this week. And even his match point against Roberto Bautista Agut, this was an exchange of, you know, about 15 plus balls in a great rally, which he finished the match with a huge forehand down the line winner. So I think he's in a bit of a zone right now. Of course, he's going to be a massive underdog against Stefano Tsitsipas, but we've seen Tsitsipas have troubles in the past against huge servers. And you never know um, with these types of matches. If Opelka forces a tiebreak, if you're facing a player, you just can't break their serve. They're always going to have chances. And surely that'll be the same case when uh, John Isner will get his shot against Medvedev in the night session. Yeah, I mean, maybe you can be out there for that Opelka CC pass match to give some advice like you did to Nick Kyrgios in that <laughs> night match yeah. that you and I went to. Uh, as for the other one, I was on site last night in Toronto to catch both matches. And the first one between Medvedev and, and her catch, to me, was the match of the tournament. Her catch um, pretty easily took the first set and he was in total control. Medvedev, Medvedev just couldn't figure out his game. But then he slowly started to put it together and it became a very competitive match with the last two sets requiring tie breaks. Uh, Medvedev had had no business, you thought, winning that match for the first half of it. But he just hung in there, stuck around, and slowly you felt like things were starting to turn where he had that opportunity. Um, It was very entertaining, as I mentioned. There was one game in the match where both players had a tweener and the fans just lost their minds, understandably yeah. so. A um, lot of long rallies, 20 plus shot rallies. You got your money's worth on that one for sure last night. Yeah, it looked like a, a night classic, to be honest. I'm just just watching the highlights because I didn't see this one live. But uh, Medvedev able to avenge a loss to her catch, who clearly gives him a lot of trouble and is a great player in his own right. Her catch beat him at Wimbledon in, in five sets and then, of course, beat Federer to, to reach his first Grand Slam semifinal. But that was a thriller. Medvedev said afterwards that he actually felt like her catch was the better player for the bulk of the match. But... Um, when you can dig deep, when you can win on days where you don't have your best or your opponent is outplaying you, that's that's a great sign of, of things to come. And that's why he's world number two right now. Uh, then John Isner beating Guile Mofis. Those two have now played 13 matches. Uh, I believe the head-to-head now favoring Mofis 7-6. So quite a tight rivalry between two veterans with completely different game styles and Look, we got to give John Isner credit for his tennis this week. He beat Rublev uh, just the prior day and now uh, out small feast, who was feeling good this week. Look, as I'm watching this, or I should say before this match, I was not expecting it to be as competitive, or, or I should say maybe not competitive is the word, but entertaining as it was. I thought yeah. the points were going to be pretty short. There were actually some good rallies out there, and I can't believe I'm saying it, but John Isner was showing a lot of variety in his game uh, in terms of coming to the net, putting away some volleys, and and getting into some of those rallies as well and, and showing off some some skill that goes beyond certainly his serve. So I don't think he always gets enough credit. And last night was a reminder of that to me. Uh, Mofis, for his part, was doing his typical Mofis kind of things out there. At one point, you could tell the ball was going past him over his head. He ran to the back of the court. You felt like a tweener was coming, but first he kind of does this fake out <laughs> yeah. and then pulls the tweener. Like, who has time in a point to pull a fake out move? to try and mess with your opponent's mind and rhythm and then pull off successfully the tweener and win the point. And he was loving that moment. And so were we in the crowd. 
Um, so entertaining match. Mofis about two or three times pulled up as if he had hurt himself. And that's Mofis for you because he just tries things that maybe you shouldn't try or goes a little bit further than, than he should with that entertainment value, even as he's now into his 30s. Um, so the match was a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be. Uh, and Isner, as you mentioned, a, a big win and a, a good opportunity for him. Like both those guys are veteran guys um, who are still hanging around and, and looking to continue to to make their mark and have their presence felt despite the uh, emergence of all these young guys looking for the throne. Yeah, and uh, still very successful tournament for me for Gaon Wolfies, who was coming into this season and this event just three and ten overall. So for him to get a couple of big wins early on, he beat Tiafo uh, that second round, and then falling to John Isner, hopefully he gets some momentum uh, for the rest of the season. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will get over to the action in Montreal. Bianca Andreescu, after her loss to Ons Jabeur, says go and win this tournament. That was unfortunately not the case for Jabur, who uh, at stretches was in control of her match against uh, Jessica Pagula, but Pagula rallying and winning. 1-6, 7-6, and then 6-love in that third set. And Pagula, another one of those players who is having um, the season of her life. 2021 has been an unbelievable year for the American, debuting in the top 25. Um, I think we remember the front end of the season, her surprise quarterfinals run to the Australian Open, but she's also back that up really really well and has played very steady tennis throughout the year yeah if you look at Pagula's draw she's beaten some very strong players from Kontavite in the first round Pavlyuchenkova in the second a, a very informed Danielle Collins next and and now Anz Jabur who also looked terrific in this tournament and each of those victories has been in three sets so she's really been battling out there and on the other side she's going to come up against someone who hasn't dropped a set yet in Italy's Camilla Giorgi, and this is not the semifinal I think that any of us would have ridden down in our pre-tournament uh, bracket, but credit to these two who have gone about their business in very different ways to make it here, and one of them is going to be playing in the Banque Nationale final on Sunday. Yeah, it's it's quite surprising, but um, all credit to uh, Camilla Giorgi. Um, the level of tennis she's produced this week in, in Montreal has been pretty staggering. Um, not only the win against Petra Gavitova the other day where it was quite windy and you felt like there maybe wasn't as much rhythm to that match, but she came through in straight sets. I thought she was just on fire against Coco Goff in their quarterfinal, hitting winners from all over the court. Her movement was fantastic. And Goff, um, you know, just had moments of this match sort of looking to the sky in disbelief being like my, my opponent is just playing kind of off the charts. And Camila Georgie is that, that kind of player she'll, she'll fall into those zones for a match or two where she kind of takes the racket out of your hand and that's what's happened, but she sustained it in Montreal to get to the, uh, to the semifinals. So I, I actually think Pagula is going to have her hands full with the way Georgie's playing. Yeah. Georgie's one of those players that just absolutely goes for it and rips that ball. And you'd never think about it because she's pretty slight in stature, but boy, she can just hammer it. And yep. she's got plan A. And if plan A isn't working, she continues with plan A. Uh, but if it is working, then why not stick with it? And that's what's happening here. For Coco Goff, she hasn't had a whole lot of match play. Hadn't played since Wimbledon as she did come down with COVID. Had to miss the Olympics. Um, and then here, kind of an odd way of reaching the quarterfinals. She got through Sevastova, but then got a walkover leading five love against Potapova, got a complete walkover against Joe Conta. So not the same level of, um, you know, being in form and, and feeling her game at this point in time. 
Um, but what a young talent. And we had her on the podcast yesterday and uh, just a real treat to talk to. If we talked earlier about how the CC Pass interview was a little bit sort of stunted for me to sink my teeth into, talking to Coco Goff was an ab- absolute pleasure uh, and just so smooth to speak with. And so exciting to see what she's going to be doing in the future because she's got a lot of years ahead of her. Yeah, certainly. And uh, the other semifinal, um, no surprise, really, that number one seed, Arena Sabalenka, for me, uh, the favorite to win these, this event is through to the semifinals and has been playing terrific tennis. Um, she had a couple early scares against Sloane Stevens. That was a very tough opening round match, but uh, dispatching Victoria Azarenka 6-2, 6-4 in the quarterfinals, uh, seven aces, broke her serve five times, just very, very solid. And she'll get Karolina Pliskova, who as we know, was just in the finals of Wimbledon. So has been playing very good tennis, took out the Spaniard, Sarah Cerebes Tormo. Um, obviously her power, I think, too much for the Spaniard to handle. So this is an interesting semifinal matchup. Pliskova has really got her season on track after kind of having some dips in form for the past couple of years. And Sabalenka, to me, every WTA event she plays, she's a big threat to win. Yeah, there's no surprise in the top half uh, with these two being there. Sabalenka had some trouble in that second set against Azarenka. She was down 4-1 or 4-2 and had to claw her way back there um, with some great play. Um, But yeah, these are the two that you would expect to probably be there. Pliskova continuing her great form from Wimbledon. And whoever comes through is going to be the the favorite on paper and and probably the favorite that the fans are going to expect to win. But I, I wouldn't count Pagula or Georgie out either. So I think it's going to make a, a great kind of story between the, the expected player in the top half and the, um, you know, more unexpected Cinderella kind of story in, in the bottom. And uh, we'll definitely be watching here from Toronto on, on TV. That's for sure. Yeah, and this is a, a rematch I should mention, actually, of, of Wimbledon. I hadn't even thought of that, where Pliskova beat Sabalenka in a tough, tough three-setter. So they will uh, clash one more time. And for us... We have just one more podcast to go. Um, We are on day six. Tomorrow will be day seven. We'll get a nice finals preview. It'll be a wrap on what has been a very busy, extensive week for us at Matchpoint Canada. So I hope everybody's enjoyed uh, following along with all the content because um, we have a lot of interviews banked. So if you haven't got to everything, if you haven't listened to everything, there's still plenty of time to do so. And we might end up, we should also say, we could still end up with a Canadian champion. As in Montreal, we have Gabby Dabrowski, yep. who's still in the doubles draw with Louisa Stefani, the fifth seeds. They just knocked off the number one duo yesterday, 6-2, 6-2 over mm-hmm. Sabalenka and Mertens, who've been a powerhouse team on the WTA the last couple of years. So that is a big win for Gabby, who, interestingly enough, is teaming up with one of the two women that beat her at the Olympics uh, as the Brazilian team defeated Gabby Dabrowski and Sharon Fishman in Tokyo in the opening round. So kind of odd to see her then team up with, with her opponent there, but seems to be working there up against Kudermatova and Ribikina in the semifinals. That'll be uh, Saturday evening in Montreal. And so fingers crossed that we might still have a Canadian champ at the end of this week uh, between both cities. Yeah, certainly possible. We'll be watching closely uh, for what Gabby can do in Montreal, and we'll be following closely the entire tournament. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.
silently and listen to our thoughts.